This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This month, we are taking a look back at Mrs. Doubtfire to see if our nostalgia is warranted. And straight up, right at the top here, Sarah is not here, so it's just two 90s kids, and I don't even know if Mark qualifies as a 90s kid. I mean, he was a kid in the 90s, but mm, debatable. <laughs> anyway... It's just a boys' night right now. Sarah is off doing a multitude of shows, and I'm sure if you ask her about it, she'd complain about all of them to you. <laughs> Anywho. The last we heard, she also may or may not have laryngitis, so that was... Oh, that's right! <laughs> that's that's the big reason she could enjoy this one, is that she literally doesn't have a voice. For all intents and purposes, she is as here right now as she would have been had she been in this video call. We could have just said that she talk. was on the, the show, but she can't speak, and nobody <laughs> would know. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, uh, it's Mark's pick, so we're going to start us off with a 60-second synopsis, telling our audience what the plot is of Mrs. Doubtfire in under a minute. Uh, so, Mark, are you ready? Uh, yes. Yes, Great. yes, yes. Here we go. And in three... Two, one, go. Even though Daniel Hillard is a loving father who is adored by his children, he and his wife suffer a bitter divorce after growing apart for several years. A judge rules that Daniel is only allowed to visit his children once a week until he can prove he is a suitable father figure. Shortly after he moves out, Daniel learns that his wife plans to hire a housekeeper to take care of the children in the evening, so he sabotages her newspaper ad and poses as an elderly British lady in order to get the position and spend time with his children. Daniel also begins a job at a TV studio and accidentally insults the owner to his face, but somehow manages to keep his job. While playing around on the set, the owner overhears him and decides to hear some of his ideas for improving the station. Daniel's dual lives collide when the station owner and his family plan special dinners on the si at the same restaurant on the same night. He tries to trick them by switching in and out of his female disguise throughout the dinners, but is discovered. Due to his lying to get around the custody ruling, Daniel loses complete custody of his children and is only allowed to visit them once week under supervision. After another discussion with his ex-wife, they work out an agreement so that Daniel can spend time with his kids every day, and despite the disastrous dinner, he now has a successful television career as Mrs. Doubtfire. I'm surprised. I didn't know that was the alarm sound. <laughs> I I was surprised that I got under time because I practiced a few times and was right at, and I know I flubbed a few of them just now, and sure. I still got it, so I must have been His talking. His dual really lives fast. combine, or collide, one of those. Did I say Anywho. What did I say? You said it right. I said it wrong <laughs> just now. Oh, good. Anywho, let's get into long-form things that we saw as adults that we may have missed as children. And honestly, the thing I want to address right up top is I'm, I'm glad you picked this movie because I have 
seen this movie referenced by people who enjoyed it as children, who didn't go back and revisit it, and weren't sure if this movie would hold up or be problematic, uh, in that, like, it's a man dressing up and interfering with his ex-wife's love life and breaking the law yeah. to be with yes. his children. <laughs> and... Slight correction in that I, I guess I did choose the movie, but it was suggested to me by a friend uh. when she found out that we do a podcast. So, but yeah, I'm I'm kind of glad about that too. She brought it up and I said, you know, that would be a great one to do. So I, again, the same thing you said, I, I remember liking this as a kid and you don't, I guess maybe when I was younger, you don't pick up on something like, you know, that something is wrong, but you don't fully understand what the thing is. I was thinking that while I was watching that, I think as a kid, you would, well, personally, enjoyed it because you have this crazy man dressed as a woman who does funny voices, and uh, I guess you would, I don't know if I would say happy ending, <laughs> um, but he gets, he you know, he gets to hang out with his kids by breaking the law and doing this stuff, and for some reason as a kid, that's a good thing, but... yes. Uh, he is definitely presented as the hero of the film. And the other thing I've seen, in addition to, like, people questioning it after seeing it, is if the plot is described to a person who's never seen it before, they immediately find fault with it. Which I get. Mm -hmm. There are several problematic things in this film. But, and there's a big but here, <laughs> I think it still works. And this is a bit of a spoiler for my final review, but the running theme in what he is doing is that he loves his children and that he wants to be a part of their lives and he loves them so much, he'll break any law yes. to be with them. And that's, I, again, something that I had not maybe not remembered or not noted. I, I remember that he was breaking the law and he had to dress up like a woman to, to be with his kids and all this, but... I didn't remember what the background of it was. I thought it, my memory of it was that he was the bad parent because they had a party and the wife comes home and yells at him and suddenly he's kicked out because he must be the bad parent. But rewatching it here, he's the one who's always supporting the kids and wants to be with them and really loves them and, well, not supporting financially. But, <laughs> right, right. I mean, the first time you meet him, he walks out of a job because of ethical issues, which I had not remembered at all. Yeah. And I've seen this film a lot throughout my life. I don't think I've ever saw the beginning of this right? film until watching it this <laughs> that, time. That's what I, I was like. I don't remember ever seeing this before. <laughs> but yeah. I, he, I mean, he quits a job because. There was smoking in a kid's cartoon, Correct. and he didn't want to teach kids about smoking because it's bad for them. And I'm like, so he, I mean, morally, he's the good guy to begin with. I did find him very annoying, actually, in that first scene because oh, he just yeah. wouldn't shut up and kept going on with different accents. And I'm like... You're, I mean, his his morality is good, but he was still really annoying. So it's a thing that doesn't exist that they're portraying this film, where he is he is an actor, he is a comedian, he's doing the voiceover for a cartoon. It's more or less like a Tom 
Tom, Tom and Jerry, or a um, uh, Tweety Bird and Sylvester type thing, where it's cat against other thing that cat eats. <laughs> and he's doing an amazing job up top, because part of the cartoon is you have to sing the entirety of the Figaro song from Figaro, the we, uh, the opera. Well, he was also doing all of the voices for... Well, I guess Correct. it was only two characters but, like, that we saw. It is too. an extended, like either latin or uh italian operatic song that he is doing up top for like straight five minutes and then he does like voices of the cat he does the voices of the bird and he's got a script and he goes off script once the bird starts smoking because this is a cartoon for children and they have a character smoking but they hired a guy who doesn't like showing smoking to kids and i mean I guess maybe not in the 90s, but older cartoons, that would not have been an issue to show smoking in them, I guess, because, like, you know... know. Do you see any smoking in, like, Looney Tunes? (sighs) Besides, like, I maybe, like, a big cigar, but that's always, like, a fake cigar that explodes, and they always give it to, like, the villain of the picture. I just think it wouldn't have been as big of a deal back then because it wasn't seen as necessarily being bad for you. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think you necessarily see it all the time. But it's just that it wouldn't. Have, I don't think people would have looked at it and said, "Oh, that's bad. We don't want kids to see that." Specifically, the bird here is smoking a cigarette, and I think if you have seen like cigarettes in media, there's always a brand on it. Like, the the smoking company of that brand is sponsoring the picture and wants their brand shown. Whereas this is just a generic cigarette that the bird is having as a final wish before the, the cat kills him. I don't know. It's a weird cartoon, but you're right. <laughs> the thing I got for this is, one, I think he's hard to work with because, unlike most actors, he's not willing to sacrifice his morals in order to get the job done. So he's hard to work for work with in the business, but he is an upstanding guy in that he's willing to quit a job to stand up for his morality. I don't think he is the quote-unquote good parent, though. He is certainly the fun parent, but when the mom comes home and he's having a birthday party for his son, when he picked his son up from school, there was some talks like... the party was a bit out of hand anyway, so... so That's the thing. That I see, but... He has an impromptu petting zoo where none of the animals are maintained. They are running throughout the house, and when the mom comes home... He is the only parent, he's the only adult there for a party of, like, 30 children. Now, the other thing is, this is his son's birthday, who was... Sure. 16? I don't think it was 16, Maybe no. younger. He was, he's a teenager, definitely. But when they pan through the house, Maybe. majority of the kids there for the party must be about six. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, why are all these kids here? Because they're not his school friends. Yeah, and like when the mom comes home, it's not, it's utter chaos. Kids are going throughout the house, jumping on furniture. She walks into the dining room and the dad is dancing with the kids on top of the table while music is playing. And I think a goat was eating the birthday cake. Yeah, a goat (laughs) or a horse or a donkey or something. Yeah, something. But like the mom wanted to have a special thing for the son. 
And, like, she had mentioned to the son that he hadn't been performing that well in school, so maybe a birthday party wasn't in the cards for him. But she wanted to bring home a cake and make him feel special. But here's her husband, ruining the entire house with animals and children running amok. And it's, it is utterly irresponsible for an adult to do this. Okay, so I agree with this. And I will say it's not good parenting necessarily, but you do know he loves his kids. He definitely says that multiple times throughout the movie. I, what struck me one time on this one that I don't remember noticing before this, not at this beginning scene, but at one point they, the kids even bring up to the mom, well, why do you care? You're never here. So apparently she's maybe a workaholic or, you know, or just that her job is that busy that she's never home to be with the kids. Daniel may not be the responsible one, he may be the fun one, but he's also the one who is there when they need somebody, and he may not necessarily be responsible about it, but he's there. So, I think between the two of them, there might be a balance. I also think that it's not the first time that he's left a job, uh, because when he comes to pick up his kids before the party... They all immediately know, oh, you're out of work again. You've lost another job. So while he's there for his kids, he's not, he's not the breadwinner for the family. And maybe the mom has to be that workaholic so that the kids get fed every night. Yeah, and that's where I feel like they are almost... You hear that opposites attract, and I don't know if that's necessarily the case here. I I think that they almost complement each other in that way that she can make make the money and be the responsible one while he's able to have fun and be there with them when they need him. But again, as we have said multiple times, he's not very responsible about it. And I think from the kid's perspective, again, it would be more fun to be with the fun parent, even if the responsible parent is the one who's doing things to help bring you up. So, yes, to a kid, to a child's mind, yes, it would be better to live with their dad, because it would be way more fun. Mm -hmm. However, the reality of it is they might not be eating every night. They might not have a clean place to live. They may not bathe all that often like okay but that you need a disciplinarian to bring up children and he definitely is not that i agree with that i guess what i i have a problem with another scene when what after he moves out he's living in an apartment and the kids come over to visit mom comes to pick them up and complains about the way he's decorated the apartment and i'm thinking he hasn't even moved in yet he has boxes sitting around what do you expect <laughs> like it's just boxes because he hasn't unpacked anything i agree with that i think both of these people are unfair to each other at different parts in the film neither one of the adults for these kids is the hero uh pre-divorce though i think He was definitely worse, and he continually made her the villain to her children. Like, it's fine if you need to split up responsibilities where I'll be with the kids, you go and be the breadwinner so that, you know, the kids can have a good life and we can provide for them. But the guy who's with the kids shouldn't continually vilify the mom to her children, he should be making it understood to them. It's like, 
mom is working really hard for us so that we can go on like vacations together and do stuff and get food for everyone. Like that's part of the responsibility of the parent who's there is to make the children understand all the work the other parent is doing for the family. But you are correct in that post-divorce, she is unfair to him massively. Now, are they, are they officially divorced at that point, or was it just a custody hearing? So I believe they are divorced uh, later in the film when uh, Pierce Brosnan comes into the picture. Uh, one of the lines that uh, the mom has is that she's at the beginning of a divorce. I guess I took that because when they have the, the hearing at the beginning, that it's about who gets custody of the children, and then we'll come back and reconvene in a few months and see if you've changed your ways or whatever. So I don't think custody hearings happen before a divorce. Yeah, I guess that would be true. I guess I was just thinking that they were separated and the second one would be like the final thing that decides everything. But again, custody hearings you would think would be after they're officially... So my understanding was the first one, the judge ruled, it doesn't make sense right now for you to have joint custody because the father doesn't have a job, doesn't know what his life is going to be, hasn't established the new order in his life and like bringing kids into that chaos on a 50 50 basis isn't fair to the kids it isn't fair to the dad so like in three months or a month or whenever the deadline was he needs to show that he has stable employment and a adequate living environment meet those two requirements and you will have joint custody but he can't accept that in that like he needs to be a part of his kids lives you know, we talked about how being unfair slightly that she comes over and complains about his decorations when he hasn't unpacked. Later on, she comes in and it's all fancified inside. I know that's a real word. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but there's a point they show the exterior of his apartment like in the slums because it's all he can afford at that point. So what difference does it make what the inside looks like and how nicely he cooks dinners for the kids if he still lives in the bad neighborhood that the kids may not want to be in? Yeah, that I that I can't tell you. But I think you're right that the mom is unfair because with this arrangement where the dad gets one day a week with his children... She is dropping the kids off over an hour late, and she is coming to pick them up an hour before what is scheduled. So drastically cutting down on the very little time he has with his children, uh, and the excuse she gives is, well, I have to run errands, so I need to pick up the kids now so that I can go and do the errands. And, like, to me, that's not a justification for, like, cutting down his time with his children. She also is unfair in that she pointedly asked him when she arrives, are my kids ready to go yet? <laughs> and he even responds, our kids. <laughs> right, exactly. I Yeah, and I, that same thing, like, we were saying about how he kind of makes her the villain in front of the kids, but she does that a few times throughout the movie, too, when she's talking to Mrs. Doubtfire or to other people, and she talks about how bad he was. And 
as parents, you know, you may not, you know, or as a couple, you may not get along, you may get divorced, but I feel like if you're going to have those problems, that's something you want to do between each other and not necessarily in front of the kids. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. And this is a running thing throughout the film, and I'm glad that the film doesn't rectify it in that what they continually show is how wrong together these two people are. Like, how they don't work when they're together, and being together makes them worse versions of themselves. And I really like that this film takes a stance on divorce that, yeah, your parents don't get back together, but it's okay, and they're better for it, they're better people, and the kids have better lives because of it. Because they aren't living in a household with two people who despise each other and are constantly arguing and fighting. Like, they found peace between themselves, which was to separate. This film takes a a stance on divorce that you don't see often in, like, children's movies, which are about, well, we need to get our parents back together. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Trying to see if Carl is foreshadowing his games already. <laughs> I don't even know. Uh, I wrote my games over a week ago, and I have not yeah. looked at them since. Um, I so I see. I mean, I I can agree with most of that. I to me, the ending was kind of like a you. I there was no closure, I guess. And I know we're not really to the end yet, but you kind of brought up how they do separate at the end, find an agreement that works for everybody and makes the kids happy. And I, I don't know. It's a, it, to me, it was kind of a weird thing because they separate and he's still able to see his kids and get around the court orders because she agreed to it and changed the orders or whatever. And the kids are happy because they get to see everybody, but it's, <laughs> Again, it's kind of like what you said. In a family movie, you kind of expect that people are going to get back together and have the big happy ending or something, and that's not what happens. So it's it's good in that regard because it's almost more realistic, but it, it just doesn't have that same happy ending that you might expect from a children-slash-family movie. Yeah, and I think I particularly like it because th I think this film was made during a time when like divorces were on the rise and becoming much more common in that like going to school as a kid i knew several kids who were kids of divorce and to, for them to see this movie it's far more realistic and it like speaks to people who you know are children whose parents separate and how that can be okay and the solution is not, well, the parents get back together and then everything's okay. It's you find a balance with your parents separated and things get better from there. To me, it's important and interesting that there exists this film that is fun and enjoyable and shows divorce can be a positive thing for everybody uh, and not just a terrible thing that happens uh, when kids are young and things change forever. Uh, and then Pierce Brosnan shows up. and <laughs> Yeah, we, we could talk about Pierce Brosnan. I want to get back to um, the, the problematic things, because I spoke well of the film uh, in that overall, 
I think the film still works. There are problematic things about it, however, in that, like, when he is in character of Mrs. Doubtfire, he kind of interrogates his wife a little bit about the reasons for the divorce. And that's super not great. Now, it's not good, but it's interesting because as Mrs. Doubtfire, he's able to have conversations calmly that they could not have earlier because he wanted to sit down and talk with her before but everything always turns into an argument and them yelling so that they couldn't actually hash out some of that stuff so there there are points where she says something and he's like oh really and like you can see that suddenly he's realizing things that he might not have known before or you know they're having conversations that they couldn't have before because they were just always fighting instead So I don't, it's interesting that you bring that up because I hadn't really noticed, but yeah, the difference between his morality of not showing kids cigarettes, but his morality of lying to everyone and, and, and being, and trying to interrogate his wife about things so that he can learn what she thinks about him and then trying to turn away her new suitor. (laughs) Right. And the the soup the most problematic thing is that he's playing mind games with his ex-wife and trying to implant ideas in her that it's not okay for her to date other people. Like it's just because uh, he does this as Mrs. Doubtfire, where playing it off as she's this old British woman who believes in the sanctity of marriage, but like he continually tells her why his his ex-wife well. It's never time to move on. Once you're married, that's your guy for life. You shouldn't be seeking other marriages now. Uh, and trying to implant in both her and Pierce Brosnan's mind that they're wrong for each other, or they're dating for the wrong reasons. Telling his ex-wife that, oh, Pierce Brosnan is only there so that he can sleep with you. And telling Pierce Brosnan, oh, well, did you know that <laughs> the ex-wife has... Uh, crabs, <laughs> yeah. and she keeps a dildale in the bedroom, so it's hard to live up to that. Uh, it just, those like, were some conversations. Yeah, I remember some of the conversations he had with, I don't remember the character name, but, but Pierce Brosnan. Stu. Stu. Some of the conversations that they had, I don't remember. Maybe, nope. maybe either I just didn't catch them when I was younger, or maybe I saw an edited version. <laughs> but <laughs> some of them, I was like, oh, I don't remember anything about this. <laughs> but yeah, I, Stu himself is kind of an idiot. I, I'm, <sighs> I think, I, I, especially there's the one time at the pool that you overhear the conversation about, well, I hate kids, I don't really want to be with them, but because she's so great, have you seen her? I'm willing to do it. And then and then he talks about how great the little girl is and winning him over or something. So I don't, I guess I don't know where he's coming from necessarily, right. but he's kind of portrayed as being almost the bad guy because he's trying to steal Daniel's wife and because he doesn't like kids and whatever, but... Yes, and since the audience is siding with Daniel and Mrs. Doubtfire, who sees him as the villain, he is shaded that way for the the audience. Right. But I agree that he is not evil in any way. My understanding of the conversation he has at the pool is he runs into an old friend... Uh, he's been the, 
living the bachelor lifestyle for so long and complains that he he never wants to have children. And the friend brings that up for him. It's like, you, the guy who said he never wanted to have kids? You're getting with a woman who has three little ones? He could have responded in a very negative way towards the children. However, his response is, yes, but she has three wonderful children. He likes these kids, even though he doesn't necessarily like the idea of having his own children. And he likes being with Miranda, and the kids are a part of her life. I don't remember if it was if he said anything specific, but you know, it's almost the where well, it's worth it, you know, because of her and our relationship. And since these kids are so great, maybe it's time that I change because. Well, yeah, I think that's part of it too. Is that he's reached an age where uh, he doesn't want to continually have that bachelor lifestyle of. You know, run it, having a new girlfriend every week or whatever his life has been. He wants to get to the point where he can settle down and have like a serious relationship. I was going to make a comment about how he's so much like Carl, but. Oh. <laughs> I'm in a relationship, Mark. Yeah, I'm aware. <laughs> it was a joke. Yeah, well. Certainly my bachelor lifestyle is never as impressive as Stu's. But it's interesting you brought at the end where there isn't closure, because one of the things the film doesn't answer is what happens to Stu. Like, after Mrs. Doubtfire is discovered to be Daniel the whole time, and they have uh, that whole rigmarole of what does life look like now where dad's not in our life and mrs doubtfire's not in our life like Stu is never addressed again after the reveal yeah so i don't know i mean of course daniel tried to well he didn't try to necessarily oh. but he, <laughs> he almost killed him so I, I, what, but I, it sounded like, I mean, I don't know, the way that kind of ended there is that it sounds like Stu was planning on staying and making it a thing, but I mean, maybe that scared him off enough because he realized he's going to have to deal with this crazy ex. <laughs> so, but yeah, you're at the, cause after that they go to the hearing and they tell him that he can't really see his kids anymore unless he's supervised and blah, blah, blah. And then once there's another conversation and she agrees to let him see the kids every day but when you they're back at the house there's no stew there it could be that he's just gone at work or whatever but they don't really mention where he is my understanding is that she the wife was still going to keep seeing stew and i think my interpretation of like how stew reacts after the reveal is like the mom storms out with the kids after Mrs. Doubtfire is discovered. And then Stu looks at him. He looks at Stu. They shake each other's hand. And then <laughs> Stu leaves. So my understanding of that moment is that Stu recognized why Mrs. Doubtfire has been so, like, abrasive towards him. <laughs> and just like, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I get it now. Well, I appreciate you saving my life, because Stu doesn't know he's poisoned him. That's uh, true. Just like, yeah, it's just like, okay, I get it now, but you also saved my life, so I guess we're even, buddy. <laughs> so I think Stu would still be in the picture. Now, I, now you keep, you've said that that's the reveal, and I guess... 
I mean, it's it where is, it is revealed to the two, mom. Two of the kids already knew about it ahead of time, so... And that is another problematic thing in the film, where once the two older children learn that Mrs. Doubtfire is actually their dad, he tells them to lie for him. Yes. That is super not great, to tell your children to keep up a lie from their other parent. I un- now I'm not I don't agree with it. I would say I understand it because if they don't lie then then the whole thing is blown anyway. And you and they know well from we know from earlier in the movie that they want to spend time with him. So yes. they're they're okay with lying, but I don't agree with it. And it was one of the things that I thought about while I'm watching it is First of all, when you're fighting in front of the kids, that's one thing. The second thing, bad-mouthing the other parent in front of the kids. But then just flat-out telling them to assist you in your lie to get around the ruling about you seeing them. To be fair, the eldest daughter is on board immediately and gives him a big hug. The son isn't. He recognizes how weird the situation is, and so he is uncomfortable giving Mrs. Doubtfire a hug, even though he would immediately give his dad a hug. There's just that weird dichotomy where, like, they're now in on the joke, but they also love their mom, and they can occasionally see that Mrs. Doubtfire is saying things to hurt the mom's relationship with Stu, or, like, making slightly snide comments towards the mom that now the kids are privy to why it's so, like, terrible, because it's really their dad saying it. And a few times that you, like, sitting at the dinner table or whatever, and they'll start stifling laughs or whatever because they're like, oh, I get it, but... But a a question the kids should have asked in that moment is, hey, dad, what's your exit strategy? (laughs) Because he doesn't have one. Yeah, well, and and so we didn't really go over the whole part about the newspaper ad in the first place, because this is when she shows up to pick him up early, and he asks if he can read the ad for whatever reason. He just wanted to see what she was posting for. He changes her phone number on purpose so that nobody can get a hold of her, and then he himself calls several times with fake voices being terrible housekeepers on purpose, So that when he presents her with the perfect one, it has to be her choice because all the others are so bad. So my question with this is this is is one of the several times where the film does a short montage of Robin Williams doing characters. Why doesn't his ex-wife know the voices that he can do? I thought the same thing. Especially because... I mean, while most of them are disguised as female voices, you can still hear his voice in there. Right, exactly. I mean, any like, man doing falsetto, you can usually still hear their own, well, maybe not any, but, you know. So I want to say Mrs. Doubtfire, his longest-running character in this film, is the best female voice you can do. And I do, I know a story behind the scenes that I think this is a good time to interject with it. It was on a podcast I was listening to where they they interview people who were in big films but did not become big stars, and they interview the eldest daughter from this film. And she tells the story of the day she arrived on set. It was the day that all the kids arrived on set. 
And so they're, they're meeting everybody, the camera workers, the directors, what have you. And the director pulls them aside. She's like, hey, you know, while you're here, my mom's come to the set today. Why don't you guys go have lunch with her? And they, they sit down, they have lunch, they have a good time. And afterwards, the director asks them, so what did you think about my mom? She's like, oh, she's a little quirky, but like, she was super nice. We had a great time. And the mom they had lunch with was Robin Williams in costume. And they wanted to test whether him in this suit doing this voice could fool children into believing he was a woman. And the test was successful in that the kids didn't recognize at all during the lunch that they were talking to a man. And so I think this is a very passable female voice, even though most of the other ones who does, not so great. That wasn't one, uh, I don't, one of them was supposed to be like hick voice, <laughs> redneck voice. <laughs> something oh, right. About, I there don't was know. something about how he put the, fa- the, the phone down and yelled into the background about yeah. how she wanted um, her third husband to release one of the kids from the cage. <laughs> Uh, I, um, have you, are you, do you watch a lot of, uh, Ernest P. Worrell? Hmm, I mean, I've I'm seen a lot of Ernest no. films. Okay, so. Jim Barney? Is that the Ernest we're talking about? You called him his full name, which I don't remember if I have ever heard oh, his full come on. name. Well, I'm just. But like, I, I've it, seen it, Ernest Scared Stupid. I'm picturing Ernest several camp, scenes, scenes where he does voices as well, which were kind of funny. There's, cause there's Ernest Goes sure, to Jail, he where he portrays, dog. he tries to be his own mother or whatever to, to get out of prison. Um, but yeah, so he does female voices like that too which is just kind of funny to me it just reminded me of that because but he doesn't have the whole suit on he just kind of scrunches up his face all funny (laughs) you mentioned the suit and the mask which i assume are not actually made by the person who does the makeup in the movie (laughs) no that's a real actor who has been in several other pictures a real actor well, I mean, in that, like, his career is acting yeah, and not I, yeah. work. Well, and I, you, because you brought up other characters from big movies that, that didn't become famous stars, and he's in this one, and I recognize him from several other films, so. I remember that he was in this movie, and that he helped put on the, the makeup and everything. I forgot that he was kind of. I, not important to the film this i mean he but you know what i mean he he was a bigger role than i thought he was because he comes up a few times throughout the movie yeah he is um robin williams brother in the film who is just super okay with his brother dressing in full costume and lying to his ex-wife to be with his children like of all the people in the film the brother is in on it from the beginning and has no issues with it yeah i think he was just excited to be putting makeup on someone i mean was i I guess that's his job too because was he was he at the studio at the beginning Uh, i I don't think he was at the studio um i believe i think that is his job but it's also like his apartment because the montage of robin williams is all at his place and he's got a fancy chair for Robin Williams to sit in that spins around and he's got like a full a half wall mirror for him to look at and a wall full of masks and wigs and whatnot this is the uh 
Mighty Ducks 2 on Rodeo Avenue montage. <laughs> mm-hmm. And my issue with a couple of things. We were talking about Ron Williams doing all the fake voices to get the job. And then, like, specifically doing terrible people who you'd never want to charge with children. So that when he called as this nice old British lady, he could immediately get the job. However, he seems to have no plan the entire film, in that when he calls to go in for the kill and get the job, he doesn't even have a name yeah. for this character yet. And he has no idea what she's even gonna look like when he agrees to meet in person with the mob, which is when we get the montage of him trying on a bunch of costumes at the brother's place, but all but the last costume. Like, you want a costume that fits the character that you've already created, but we just go through ten other characters, even though we've already established that it's an old British woman. <laughs> Why are you being the old Jewish woman with the nose? Why are you being the slightly Latinized woman with the wig and the long fingernails? Just go straight to old British woman. You've already established that's the character. Now, I thought part of that was a gag for him to impersonate other celebrities. Well, yes, he does a Barbara Streisand impersonation. <laughs> does he do any other women? I can't I, remember. I don't remember. Oh, maybe either. Joan thought, Rivers? Yeah, I thought I think there he's was got a, a Joan Rivers in least. And, like, I get this is a gag for the film. We They want to do as many montages of Robin Williams doing random characters as possible. It just doesn't make sense in the context of the film, where we know the character you're going to be. Why don't we just go straight to that character? Well, and I guess they were trying different things, but in the end, so what, originally they were just going to have, like, some extra things stuck on his face before they went to the entire face mask, because at that point they realized she had to be an older lady. And did, what did he say? You look just like mom or something? Because <laughs> he's just <laughs> yeah. an older version of himself, I guess. Right. But yeah, I think when we get to Mrs. Doubtfire, where, like, he is in full facial prosthetics with a wig on, with makeup on the the latex mask, uh, and the full bodysuit that he has to put on for and this. Fake like, teeth even. Right. They've completely transformed his body in that like the mask has enough silicone in places where it's changed the shape of his face. It's not his real teeth anymore. Literally, the only thing that is still him is the eyes that people can see from the outside. And so I think as far as like costuming goes and creating a character where Robin Williams can't mask his voice terribly good in the characters he does, he does become a different person. And the film is great in the, the makeup that they put on him. Like they're not trying to sell us that Oh, we put Robin Williams in a wig, and doesn't he look different? No. They put him in a full bodysuit, and yes, he looks completely different. That can't be Superman. He has glasses on. Right, exactly. <laughs> They're not trying to sell us that nonsense where every person in the film has Lois Lane's disease. <laughs> uh, well, and that was something, though, that I... You mentioned the voices, 
And even the first time that when Mrs. Doubtfire meets the family, the mom looks at him and says, you look so familiar and something. And I, I want to say she said something about his eyes. I don't remember, but that's where I'm like, wouldn't you, if you'd been married to somebody for however many years, you might recognize their face. Even, even under all that, you could, especially if you're looking in their eyes, but maybe. I I certainly think if you were spending every day with this person, there's a chance you would notice like their their tics or their like certain body language. But I think they had been separated for a couple of weeks, let's say, and like she just hasn't been around him recently. And then this new person comes in her life and she wants to accept this as a new person. I don't know. Maybe she should have recognized right away. But I think, I think the film does a good job of transforming a man into a 70 year old British woman. No, I would agree. It's that the one thing that I always wondered about is there are a few scenes where he's switching back and forth. Mm-hmm. Now, when you put on something like that and try to blend it to make it look realistic, if you keep popping it on and off, I don't think that's going to work very well. But Absolutely but, not. <laughs> especially because one scene, you can clearly see him ripping it as it comes off of his head. <laughs> so. mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it does play fast and loose with how quickly he can get into yeah. and out of costume. And I'm I'm willing to suspend my disbelief that far for the film but i wouldn't be able to suspend it if like in full drag i was like no that's just that's super just robin williams though super robin williams yeah that's super robin williams (laughs) (laughs) even i could tell he's just wearing glasses uh where do we want to go from here did you did you talk at all about now i of course i don't even know her name but i know she is someone that i've seen in other movies but the mom Sally Field? That's her name. She's famous. Yeah. Yes. She was the cat <laughs> in uh, Homer Bound. Yes, we watched that movie. Correct. <laughs> well, there's her. There's also the social worker lady who has oh, to come yeah. check on Daniel. Classic old woman. Yeah, I've seen her in a bunch of things. I don't know her name. Yeah, I don't either. I know she's been in other things, too, but I probably just remember her face from this one. I did want to talk about the um, the classic scene in this, where, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because this film uses a trope, and it's a trope that doesn't exist in real life. You see it all the time in media, where it's a person trying to do two things at once. The first time we get this is in his apartment, where this woman is there to check up on the father to see, like, is the living environment suitable for children? And of course, when he gets home... He's in full Mrs. Doubtfire costume. And so she decides, the woman coming to check up on him, to go up to the apartment with him. And so he has no time to change. And he's having two conversations with the same woman, but in character in one and being himself in another. And it's wonderful. And the second one you get is at the, the dinner party where he's having a, trying to have a business meeting and a party for his uh, ex-wife's birthday. And he needs to keep switching back and forth there. But my question with this is the, the classic line everybody remembers from Mrs. Doubtfire is where this old woman is in the house and he loses his mask. His mask falls to the ground, gets run over by a truck. And so now he has to go to the kitchen to make her tea as Mrs. Doubtfire, but he has no mask. 
So he goes, and she's coming into the kitchen, and he's scrambling around, and he opens the fridge and sees a cake and just dunks his face into the cake and goes, Hello! <laughs> Why would he have a cake, is my question. People a have cake cakes. Like, okay, but <laughs> if I opened a bachelor apartment fridge, I would say 99% of them would not have cake. Just on hand, full cake in the fridge. Those you there would be like those cheese singles that come in the plastic wrappers. Yeah. And cans be, of beer and cake, obviously. Right. It'd be cans <laughs> of beer, it would be um TV dinners, it would be frozen food. Uh let's see, what else would you have in the fridge? Not fruit for sure. <laughs> Maybe candy. Uh well th- now the I forgot that it was a cake, actually. Mm-hmm. I And it was, obviously, when I watched it this time. I always pictured it as being a pie. Because you would think, like, a cream pie would have that foam. Because when he goes back out to talk to her, it's, like, dripping off of his face like a foam. And to me, that would be more like a, from, like, French silk or lemon cream pie or something instead of, like, a frosting from a cake. Right. But... Unless it's one of those whipped cream frosting things, but I don't know if those were popular then. So, in fairness to this film, I was wrong when I first said it was cake. I believe they just, unless it's, they call what he's wearing when he talks to the old woman as, like, a meringue thing. So some sort of egg white. I guess that's true. He says that himself, doesn't he? And so, maybe. Maybe it's some sort of meringue and cream. Still, I mean. I don't know. I don't know why it's in his fridge, except yeah. that it makes it for an easy mask right away. Where uh, I would have loved to see him just have a pie and come out with a blueberry filling <laughs> with like some of the pie crust still stuck to his face. But are you going to talk about the uh, the two Asian boys yes, across the street? Yes, exactly. I, I thought you might. What I think is funny is that they're sitting there giggling about some lady taking off her clothes until she turns around and it's not actually a lady and then suddenly they're scared or something. But I it's I don't know. Maybe they can't see I think it even starts when he comes back to dress as Mrs. Doubtfire, right? So it's not when he's un- I think he's undressing from because he came in dressed as her and he was dr- undressing to be himself. Huh. I thought they came in later, because my understanding of the scene, Doubtfire comes up, goes to the bedroom, and the dad shouts out, I think Danny is his name, uh, Danny shouts out, oh, I just got out of the shower. And so he quicks, undresses, and like spruces himself up, like wets his hair, and goes out with a towel to go talk to the lady. And I thought the kids came in when he runs back in to dress as Doubtfire again to make her tea. And I think they were laughing because it's him undressing and then putting on that big fat belly suit. Maybe. I I thought it was when he was trying to take it off because then he put his mask on the little styrofoam head and... Oh, no. Maybe he was trying to grab it to put it back on and that's when it fell in the street. I I thought he was taking it off and that's when it fell, but I could be wrong. I couldn't tell you. I would need to watch. Come the on, film Carl. Again. You memorized it. I'm sure. All it's right, only been like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I well, but anyway, I just that scene was weird to me that two kids, first of all, would be watching a 70 year old lady 
but also when it turns out that it's not a lady. <laughs> and I think they they get freaked out when he sees them and like goes to yell at them, right? Where if like if you're a kid and a full grown man starts yelling at you, you know you're in trouble. There needs to be something that distracts him. And like that's the only thing the kids do is they distract him so that he goes to open up the window or something and the mask falls to the ground. So, I don't know. I, I don't see a huge problem with it. They're, they're in the film so, for such a short amount of time. Though the one thing I did want to bring up mm-hmm. is we had talked about Robin Williams' morality in this film, where he runs away from a job because it depicts smoking in a positive light while he's performing it, presumably to not even get paid for the work he's done thus far. However, Robin Williams in this film, while not smoking, is drinking and drinking heavily. And they use that as like a point of humor in several points in the film where he, as Mrs. Doubtfire, is getting either depressed or just kind of moping around, like seeing Stu with his children and just knocking back a few bottles and then like either throwing a a piece of fruit at a man's head uh, and then lying about it. Or, after he is smashed at the restaurant, poisoning Stu, knowing that he's allergic to pepper and intending to put just a little bit of pepper on his paella, but then, like, dumping, like, a whole big handful of pepper on top of the thing. I had actually forgotten that he was even drunk in that scene. I remembered that he, you know, he does something to Stu's food and that he was going back and forth between the two and then then ends up giving it away because he goes to the wrong table. I had forgotten why he goes to the wrong table is because he was so drunk. (laughs) Right, because the, the boss he's there to have a business meeting with is like, let's just have a scotch and then another scotch. It'll be great after that, a scotch. Uh, and so he's drinking with the guy to excess, and the film makes light of it in that when Mrs. Doubtfire is going back to her table, she's kind of stumbling around a bit. And like when she goes to sit down with the family, she sits down on the chair and then immediately bounces off and ends up on the floor. And it leads to her, him being drunk, leads to him losing the teeth in a glass and needing to retrieve them. And of course the kids think it's hilarious because they know that it's not a woman (laughs) and this film is playing off being drunk as funny in a children's film where previously they were just like you shouldn't show something that hmm, is not great for you in children's entertainment so my i don't know if i would call it a children's movie though Mrs. Doubtfire. I do think the film, like, the only good people in the film, though, are the children. And I get the children aren't the heroes of the film. Yeah, I mean, well, I say it's definitely marketed as a comedy, and and it's marketed as something that kids will like. And I know that I was young when I saw it, but watching it now, just from the themes of the movie and the way things turn out, I mean, I I could call it a family movie. I don't know if it's sure. a children's movie. And I think family is the right thing, because there are several lines that a child would not pick up on. 
Robin Williams delivers a lot of these lines. <laughs> yes. Um, but he delivers them in a Robin Williams fashion, where it's very quick and in very quick succession, one after another, where a child's not going to pick up on the joke because the next joke is coming and the next joke is coming and the next or joke is coming. Or they have no idea what it means in the first place. Right. <laughs> yeah, so the film doesn't give those jokes long enough time for a child watching to turn to their parents who's like, why was that funny? Or what does that mean? Uh, and so, like, since the film isn't staying on these adult jokes, they're just kind of passing by. And I don't think a kid would pick up on that. So, yeah, I think there is parts for children. And I think there are parts for the parents watching. So, yes, family is an excellent way to describe the film. It may not be just a children's film. Anyway, uh, I guess we can talk about the the end of this film and kind of work our way towards games. Well, did we need to discuss the scene where he is discovered by his boss? By his boss? I mean, boss. I, don't have anything oh. to, I don't have anything specific to say about it, just that he... Now, first of all, the guy who does the dinosaur hour is apparently incredibly boring, or they make him out to be, although... I'm sure he was very informative. Yes, but he is a bad children's host. Right. And Robin Williams comes in making fun of him to some guy he meets and then finds out that's the owner of the studio who created the show or something. And well, yeah, but like the owner also knows this show is bad, but it's been on forever. And uh, so later on, after there's no filming going on, Robin Williams is in there cleaning, I guess. I thought his job was to ship containers of film or something, but he was in there cleaning or maybe just pushing a cart through or something. That's what it was. But he saw the dinosaurs on the table and started messing around on his own, and the guy happened to come in and see him and was like, hey, that's good stuff. It's better than that old guy, so we should have dinner and discuss this. And then they have scotch, scotch, scotchy, scotch, scotch or whatever scotch, he calls it. Scotch, 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 scotch. Yeah, a lot of scotch. And he keeps. He went to the women's bathroom to change because he was going to go in the men's and got caught by his wife, ex-wife, and she corrected him because he was Mrs. Doubtfire. And then he goes to the women's restroom and goes into the stall and comes back out as a man. <laughs> in an instant, which is great. And, like, I think the first time, one of the changes, he goes in and, like, he checks the stalls and he locks the door. So he has the place to himself. But, I, you know, it, he needs to keep changing back and forth. That several times he goes in there and like, oh, another woman is here. Okay, well, I've <laughs> got to do this. But what I wanted to talk about was how he swings the pitch to his boss about Mrs. Doubtfire. Because I, I really like this part of the movie where he comes back after so many scotches with his boss uh, and switching back and forth all night. And he sits down at the table, and he is in full Mrs. Doubt Doubtfire attire, but he is talking like Robin Williams. Well, the the before this, he comes back after spraying himself. So he sprayed a bunch of perfume on himself as Mrs. Doubtfire to cover up the scotch smell when he went back to the family. Oh, is that what it was? And then okay. he came back to this table a few minutes later, and the guy says, Are you wearing perfume? And, of course, he makes up some story about it. 
well, he's made up a story that he hooked up with a waitress or something. Um, and and so then the boss sends him to go talk to the waitress and see if she has a friend for him. <laughs> but uh, when he comes back, he's dressed as Mrs. Doubtfire again. And that's when he's just talking in his normal voice because he forgot that he was dressed up. There's a brilliance in this film where they could have just set it up as like, this Mrs. Doubtfire will become the TV host. And that was Robin Williams' plan the entire time. But I love that the film sets it up that he comes back drunk and not realizing he's in costume. The boss asks him, why in God's name are you dressed up like a woman? And Robin Williams just kind of sits there for the exact right amount of time and then comes up with the idea. (laughs) Because he is, throughout the film, he is such a good bullshitter. And spinning this into, like, a workable story is so perfect for this character, who is so good at bullshitting throughout the film. So, I would agree with that. I Personally, I can't see why, as a station owner, you would want to have a man dressing up as an old lady as your TV show host for young kids. (laughs) You might as well just have him be himself, because you already saw him being himself in the studio, which was what wanted made you want to talk to him in the first place. But... I could see, I mean, from from an interview standpoint, trying to go put yourself out there and be like, hey, here's what I'm willing to do to get this job or whatever, you know, thinking outside the box to try to make something happen. At least that way, as, a, as an employer, maybe you could look at it and say, oh, this person is really thinking. Yeah, like, I think it is a harder sell because I think, What they sat down to talk about is Robin Williams revitalizing the children's entertainment on their show. And what the boss has seen thus far is him being, like, uh, high energy, lots of jokes, lots of different voices, playing around with toys. What Robin Williams presents is, here's an old lady (laughs) who probably wouldn't play with toys. Probably not gonna be that high energy. But I think skipping now to where the film resolves and the TV show that they create is like a reinterpretation of what Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was all about. Right, because then the 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 guy who used to do it, who was the old boring guy, comes in as Mr. Feely. Mm-hmm. I mean, whatever they call him in this show, but he comes in as the postman at the end. And it's it's lovely. And I think this works as a pitch for a TV show because it's like having... I, I remember being a kid and, like, the, the leader at my daycare center was this very elderly woman who, I mean, maybe she was in her 50s. I was young. She might not have been that old. <laughs> but she had white hair and everyone just called her Granny. And we loved her most of all, of other people taking care of us, because we all felt like she was our grandmother. And I think that's what Mrs. Doubtfire provides as the host of a TV show, especially for children, is you get the comfort of being around someone who you know loves you so very much, and who is old but still full of wisdom in that, like, I don't know. I don't know if your experience with 
your elders as a child was as positive as mine. But to me, Mrs. Doubtfire as a host makes complete sense for a young children entertainment show. I I I remember growing up with educational shows like Bill Nye and Beekman's World. <laughs> so Those were it's very not quite different. Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> Did you ever watch Mr. Rogers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, did anybody ever not watch Mr. Rogers? Well, that's... I ask because that is very much what the show they create in this movie is. Yeah, I'll, well, yeah. I was gonna say something about how except he doesn't have puppets, but I guess he does. So. Of course he has puppets. Yeah. We go to the land of make-believe, Mark. Yeah, well, but his are not hand puppets with mouths that move. They're They're hand puppets that just sit there. Oh yeah, Mr. You. Rogers was a bit lit, lower budget for sure. What's her What's her face with the big red nose that always scared me because she was creepy? Big red nose, lamb chop? No, no, on Mr. Rogers. Oh, on Mr. Rogers. Okay. Yes, there was the puppet lady the with the red nose. I don't remember. People will know. You, you, you listeners can let us know who it was. Anyway, so that's why. I think it works on two levels. Like, the same reason why the mom wanted Mrs. Doubtfire in the house to be, like, the nanny of the children while she was away is the same reason that character works as a TV host for very young kids. Because I think very young kids, let's say six and under, would sit and listen to an an old woman read them a story or, like, tell them things about the world, uh, sort of like a fireside chat for toddlers, uh, more than they would listen to Robin Williams do the same thing. But the point you just made was the fact that the guy saw him being very energetic and making up rap music on the spot, <laughs> and that's what made him want to Mrs. have him. Mrs. Doubtfire can rap, too. Uh it's more about who you put in the costume than it is about what the costume is. Did that make sense? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Anyway, let's get to the the end of this film where... Uh, so we, we've talked about a lot. Mrs. Doubtfire, a.k.a. Robin Williams, poisons Pierce Brosnan a lot. I, I mean, well, I guess. He's allergic to pepper and he puts pepper on his food. He, so he is allergic to pepper, and he orders paella, a very typically spicy dish. But I guess this is a fancy restaurant where it doesn't have to be that way. But yeah, Ron Williams breaks into the kitchen, he takes a thing of pepper, and like, he hits it a couple of good times. Like, there is, there is so much pepper on that paella now that they should have realized before uh, Pierce Brosnan took a bite. Like... Well, even if you don't see it, you might be able to smell it at that point. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he chokes. Rob Williams, aka Miss Doubtfire, goes and gives him the Heimlich because he realized his mistake and he didn't want to kill the guy. He just wanted the guy's stomach to get a little upset. And so he gives him the Heimlich, saves his life. But in doing so and, you know, doing all the chest compressions necessary... The costume starts to get pulled away so much that when the process is over, Robin's William, Robin's Williams, Robin Williams' <laughs> face is visible, 
and the little girl is the first one at the table to go, Daddy? And recognize him. And then the mom has that whole, the whole realization and like loses her goddamn mind because <laughs> of course you would. The whole time, the whole time, the, the whole time, the whole time. <laughs> Where this film ends up, Robin Williams as Mrs. Doubtfire gets a TV show, a la Mr. Rogers. The mom and kids are at home discussing like how much they miss Mrs. Doubtfire and how important she was to their lives. And then the mom has to keep reminding herself and the children, well, she wasn't real. And then they hear a voice on TV and they sit down and they, they watch the show. And they love the show. Mom comes to see the dad and they talk about how the mom realizes it's unfair for the dad to only have the visits with the representative of the court. And how Robin Williams also feels a little like the the person who is there makes him feel awful as a person in that like as the dad to three kids he can't be around his three kids unless somebody is there to watch him as if he's a pervert and like i get that that would be horribly uncomfortable well you can't be yourself and play with your own kids because somebody's there watching over your shoulder the whole time exactly you have another person there judging you yeah everything you do I, I will say now we we talk about how terrible and irresponsible he is as Mrs. Doubtfire he learned I mean he the first meal he tried to make for them he screwed up so he ordered them food but he he like taught himself how to cook and keep house just so that he could do this now I don't know why he couldn't have done that earlier in life when he was still their father and and was around. Well, also, but... Mrs. Doubtfire became, a, like, the disciplinarian in that the kids wanted to watch TV, and she throws the remote into an aquarium and forces the kids to clean until they get so tired from cleaning that they would love to do homework instead of doing this. But did, did he do that because he was disciplining or because he wanted to look good to the mom? So that he could keep the job. <laughs> I think a bit of both. I think... I don't think he would have been able to discipline his children if the children knew it was him. There's He's been established as a type of dad that can't say no to his kids when he knows they want something. But when he's in full costume, he is able to say no. He is able to force them to clean and force them to do their homework because he's playing this character. So I think he is more of an actor in this scene than he is a father in that, like, he is so committed to the role that he is allowing himself to do things he wouldn't normally do. So I think it's partially the character he's created for himself and that he wants to keep the job and show the mom that, like, you made the right choice. I do think it's like you could I don't know if you would call it character development but but on on the father's side not the Mrs. Doubtfire side but that he does learn to they make a big deal out of it because the mom comes to his apartment and sees how nice and clean it is now and she's surprised that he's the one that cleaned it but I think you know between that and learning how to cook he's watching cooking shows and taking notes and stuff just to so that he can be better as this character that he made up. <laughs> so it's 
that that again is him being like dedicated to the role right. that he's created for himself. So, but as as Daniel, has he really learned anything? Has he become a better person, or is it just because he was learning for a role that he was acting? God, that's a good question. Uh, the mom does say to him later that the character that he was making, the character that he was performing, did bring out the best in him. In that, like, Mrs. Dalfire becomes an essential part of the, the family where the mom can't imagine celebrating her birthday without her being there. And I think, I think what the film tries to set up is the reason Mrs. Doubtfire works so well within this family is that it's the dad at his best at all times. Yeah. And, well, and I, I guess the judge kind of brings up the exact same thing at the trial is, hey, Absolutely. well, we see you have become, you have a job now, you're, you're living in good conditions, you're able to take care of your kids, but... It seems like this whole speech you just gave me about loving your kids is just a very talented actor because you've been acting for the last however many months being this other person. So Yeah, and that's that's another part of the film where he has created a problem for himself in that when the mom comes to his apartment and sees that it's, you know, all brand new and been cleaned and whatnot, she is so impressed with him. And he asked to spend more time with the kids and to, like, take them after school. And the mom says, well, we can't get rid of Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> and it's just another point that, like, he never had an exit strategy. <laughs> and so, like, he is now in his own way. And he's in his own way in the court in that the judge doesn't know what to believe. Because he's convinced the entire world he's been a 70-year-old British woman for the past month and a half. And so, like, maybe he is just really good at convincing people and things. And maybe this love isn't genuine. And it's so crushing to Robin Williams in this moment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think, I think if the judge had been more lenient with the, the sentence... The film wouldn't have ended the way it did, in that, like, the mom also thinks the sentence is too harsh, in that when the judge rules, he will only be given visitation with a representative of the court, the mom also sees that as unfair. And it leads to her talking to the judge but and getting him But do you think if someone had lied to you for that amount of time and tricked you into believing all these things, would you care about that or would you want them to hmm. be punished that's an interesting question <laughs> because i don't i think the mom still wants a relationship with mrs doubtfire in that the way the film ends uh the kids are coming to meet their new nanny and asking their mom well why can't it be dad he says well it's you know church or church uh god uh it's the judge's ruling and blah 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 and they open the door and lo and behold it's it's the dad and the kids go upstairs to get ready mom explains you know you'll be spending a few hours every day after school with your dad and then come home here and the kids are all excited and the mom asks the dad do you want to come in for a cup of tea or something and he says no i'll just wait outside clearly showing that like he is, he is so grateful for it, but like he's not, they're not going to be comfortable around each other and like 
be able to spend time together for a little bit. He still needs that distance between them. And so he waits outside, and the mom walks into the room, and the dad's show is on, and it's Mrs. Doubtfire. And the mom watches Mrs. Doubtfire, and, like, still feels the relationship with this woman, even though it's the guy in character. And the film ends with Mrs. Doubtfire giving a speech about how divorce can be a positive thing for both the people who are divorced and the children of those families, and how, you know, the um, love is the most important thing, and the love doesn't go away just because families separate. And I think the mom, in her decision of, like, after being lied to for such a long time, still misses not having Miss Doubtfire in her life. She doesn't necessarily miss her husband. She misses this character who was really good for her and really good for her family. And I think she realizes that the only real way I can have this fake character is if I also have this husband I divorced. So that's my interpretation of like why she changes her mind. It's I I don't know because the speech at the yeah like you said it's all about how divorce is okay and the love is still there but yet you also just said that they're not comfortable with each other right <laughs> and she is the one who who she she's the one who who already allowed him back into her life but also doesn't want him there so it's kind of confusing to me oh wait wait she she invited him in. He said, I'll wait outside. Right, but before, I don't know, the the whole the whole plot of the movie with them right. trying oh, to be I divorced. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I think they still have stuff to work out as a couple in that they can't be, they can't be around each other. They can't be themselves with each other. And it's something that they still need to work on. Because that, him as Mrs. Doubtfire, they didn't resolve any of their own problems. They just made a new positive relationship where, I mean, it was based on a lie, but like, a, basically she started <laughs> a new relationship with a completely different person and they, they still haven't worked on their own marriage bullshit. To me, that's something that they still need to resolve. So that's why it's, it's similar while completely different. Uh -huh. It is similar to me to things like, Hunchback of Notre Dame or Empire Strikes Back and those kind of things where there's like not an ending but but there isn't an like it doesn't come to an actual conclusion it's like well this is the end it could be a good thing it could be a bad thing but here it is and it's just like it's those are always weird for me those the when they end like that and aren't like a an actual finish to the story because it's like you said they still have stuff to work on and it's an end to this story maybe but it doesn't really complete the whole thing i see this movie more as maybe not coming to a complete end where everything's wrapped up in a nice little bow and it's a perfect ending where you know it's the happy ending the family's back together all their problems are solved I see it more in terms of a divorce. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's literally, I mean, it is a big part of this film, but it is establishing what life was before, which wasn't great, with a massive change at the end of it, and things being okay. And I think it's fine not to 
fully wrap everything up in that things are not perfect, but they are better. And I think that's that's true for, like, I think I've said it again. I've said it before, I'll say it again. This is a film for children of divorce, where divorces are okay. It's a different thing. Not all the problems are solved. Not everything is fixed. But that's life. Things are a little better because this happened. And life can be okay. And I think that's the ending is trying to get. That life is not perfect. It's not the the it's not the happy ending. Welcome all the listeners to Carl's Mrs. Doubtfire podcast. <laughs> that's just what that speech reminded me of. It's not the perfect ending, sure. But it is an okay ending. And things are good. And I think that's fine. And I think it's important not to not to try to like celebrate it or tell them that like at the end of an hour all the problems will be resolved yeah it's not yeah because i think trying to do that here would lessen it in some way like having that perfect ending it would seem like facetious because this film does deal with like a lot of real problems and having an ending where everything wraps up everything is perfect again isn't realistic in the world that they've set up thus far. I don't know. I like this ending because I think it fits the tone of the film and what they're trying to say about divorced couples. Yeah, I think it fits. It's just one of those weird things for me personally that that things that end that way just don't feel right. <laughs> it fits for this movie, but it just sits weird when you watch it, I guess. Yeah, I think the other thing that comes to mind about an ending like this is that it, it makes you think about it more. About, like, the ending is more memorable because it's not perfect. And, like, you have discussions about the ending. Who and would do such maybe, a thing? I don't know. Anywho, that's all of my notes. Let's go on to games! Our first game is the pitch game. Combining two or more properties in the form It's This Meets This to describe this film. So, Mark, why don't you start us off telling our listeners what Mrs. Doubtfire is in terms of other things. I think that's what I've said in Beaver's podcast. I do this live every time. We haven't done this for a while. I'm not sure. But Mark, go ahead. All right. Well, because this is a Robin Williams film where he uses many different voices, the main character disguises their true self in order to be around the ones they love, and in the end, the person keeping them apart changes their mind and allows them to be together. Meets a film using many well-known actors. The protagonist's main motivation is to be with their children. There are dinosaur toys and a bittersweet ending with the main character getting in a car and driving away. Huh. Well, the first one's obviously Aladdin. Obviously. Obviously. I'm trying to think of a a dinosaur toy movie uh, and people driving away and wanting to be with their children. Yeah, I'll take a hint on this one. Um, is part of a series. Part of a series? Is this How Do You Strike the Kids? No. Okay. 
It is not live action. Not live action. Uh, is it? <laughs> is it? We are back. The dinosaur <laughs> animated film. Well, those are not toys. So, well, no. <laughs> is it perhaps Toy Story? It is a Toy Story. <laughs> All right. Is it Toy Story Three? Correct. All right. Cool. <laughs> Good hints, yes. I was hoping uh, it wasn't Toy Story 4, because I still haven't seen that. I have not seen that either, because why Why is there a fourth one? Anyway, uh, that... I don't know. Because <laughs> they had to keep Pixar alive. Uh, they have plenty of other stuff. They um, do. So, that was Aladdin meets Toy Story 3. Alright, my first one here. Since this is a film with a divorced father whose time with his offspring is severely limited by their mom's schedule, uh, where he undergoes a severe transformation to spend more time with them, becoming a character much heavier and more serious than the dad was before. Meets. A movie where an out-of-work actor cross-dresses to get a new job, leading to him interfering in several people's love lives, including men interested in a relationship with his character, but ultimately bringing out the best in him. Uh, the first one is The Santa Claus. Correct. The second one was a movie... Yep. About something. Uh, actor cross-dressing to get a job. I See, now I feel like I should know this. Yeah, it's... Uh, I think they made a musical out of it. I'm it's not The Birdcage. It's not. The Producers. <laughs> it's not that. Those... Well, maybe they did make... Uh, uh, let's see. So, cross-dressing guy. I've actually not seen the film. So I'm trying to remember what I read about it before, but like when I was looking for films where a guy cross dresses, this is one of the big ones that. But pops it was up. to get a role. It wasn't. It was to get a yes. It was to get a role. Um, he goes on a uh, like a daytime soap opera and becomes the most popular character. Well, I want to say one because it's on my list also but that means i also don't want to say it in case i give it away because it's another one that i have not seen so it's a name of a popular candy oh well then it's not the one that i was okay. thinking of um it comes the candy comes both in roll form and pop form yes it's tootsie which i have not seen correct yes so I've also not seen it, but, like, Dustin Hoffman cross-dressing is one of, like, the staples of cross-dressing. Uh, but yes, overall, this was the Santa Claus meets Tootsie. Alright, Mark, what do you got? quite a combination. Well, it makes, you know, you get a divorced father who gets fat in one, and you get a cross-dresser in another, you put them together, it's this film. <laughs> Here's some more. <laughs> uh, a Robin Williams film... Revolving around the plot of a hard-working adult who seemingly doesn't love their children, and Robin Williams portraying a childlike character. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, were those two separate ones? No, no, no. Okay, that was okay, all okay. one movie. This and meets a 1990s movie featuring Harvey Feinstein and Lisa Jakob that follows a couple in the aftermath of a breakup while another couple has a blooming romance. Okay, so 
Do you know who either of those people are? The first movie is Hook. The second one... Incorrect. What? Are you sure? Look at yep. Look at your notes again. <laughs> That's I. I have my notes right in front of me. All right. You you read back the first one and tell me that hook doesn't fit. It may not be the right answer, but I think it fits. It might fit, but that's not what it is. All right. A hardworking adult who seemingly doesn't love their children. Uh-huh. And Robin portraying a childlike adult character. Okay. <laughs> um, Bicentennial Man. No. Um, <laughs> I didn't uh, say that Robin is the parent I, who I doesn't understand. love their children. I understand now. Uh, gosh. Uh, childlike character. Uh, toys. <laughs> no. I was trying to think of that photography one, but... Um, oh, one hour photo. Yeah, but that's uh, not it either. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's probably It's around this same era, I suppose, as Hook. Uh, Fern Gully. Um, I don't think Robin Williams is in that one. God, I'm blanking on more Robin Williams films. Um, it has Wild Animals in it. Wild Animals? And A House Gets Destroyed. Are you sure it's not toys? Um. (laughs) And they play a board game. Okay. (laughs) All right. That's fair. Jumanji. <laughs> uh, do you need to hear the second one again? No, because it was two actors' names. I know Harvey Feinstein or Harvey Weinstein. It's one of them. Fireside. Firestein? Yeah, I wrote the down only, Firestein. Maybe the that was only it. thing I can think of him in that isn't this movie is Independence Day. <laughs> hey, guess what? That is the correct answer. <laughs> yes! Um, All right. Lisa Lisa Yakup yeah. is the one that you heard in that podcast. Oh, who, okay. Who was oh, um, yeah. What's-His-Face's daughter in that movie. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Randy Quaid. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, it's all coming together. Uh-huh. I'm sure. <laughs> For some reason, that was Jumanji equal, uh, plus Independence Day. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Hook meets Independence Day, but agree to disagree. Well. So, my next one. A movie where a divorced father has to deal with his ex-wife moving on with another man while trying to maintain a relationship with his kid, featuring several scenes of a custody battle in a courtroom which ends with a compassionate father losing custody of his children. Meets. A movie where a man wears an elaborate full-body costume to go undercover and dig up information on why the person he used to trust the most betrayed him. Um, so I feel like the first one is something, but I'm probably wrong. Okay. Because I wanted to say Jungle to Jungle, but I don't think that's right. Oh, interesting. Okay. I also uh, it thought is, it Man is not of correct. the House, but that doesn't sound right either. It's also not correct. Think... Because he's not hes not trying to keep a relationship with his kid. It's a different kid. <laughs> so, right. And, um, so... And then he loses his kids in court. 
So I will say the main character doesn't lose his kids in a courtroom. It's just that there's several court scenes in the film, which ends with a father losing custody of his children. I will also say that the main character is a lawyer in the film who argues against the dad keeping his children. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm picturing a lawyer and I think of Mikey Ducks. <laughs> I would say the main conceit of the film is that the guy constantly does something to get by in life and the ability to do this is taken away from him by magic. By a birthday magic. What? <laughs> uh, so, his kid birthday makes a wish. Magic. So, okay. Is it Liar Liar? It is Liar that was, Liar. Okay, so that was actually one of my first three options, <laughs> but I forgot that he was a lawyer and that any kids got lost, so I didn't so, want yeah, to say it. So yeah, it's the... I mean, it's a stretch, but it did match... No, it, well, it's... No more of a stretch than Independence Day. Right. So, like, (laughs) the court case he has that he wins for his client. She gets custody of the children. So I I had forgotten that he was even a lawyer. I just, I remembered that for some reason I had in my head Liar Liar, but I couldn't remember anything else about it. All right. Uh, So so... second one, full body costume, goes undercover, digs up information on why the person he used to trust the most betrayed him. Uh, Mission Impossible. Correct. Specifically the first one. So yeah, that was Liar Liar meets Mission Impossible. And I had that one in my head earlier and forgot because of all the questions (laughs) on the first one. (laughs) Good, good, good. Alright, you you got one more? One more. Alright. So, you may have noticed on previous episodes, I tend to pick the ones that I think are the most like it and then my last option the last ones i say are usually the ones that least represent it so sure i usually try to make good combinations of films right and i always end with my best one Oh, see, I usually end with the worst one, so that that's good. Uh, <laughs> and now these, I mean, I tried to make them good combinations, but sure, it's, sure, it's sure, sure. Pretty, anyway. Anyway, which guy? <clears throat> A Robin Williams film where one parent is barely home due to their job, and Robin's character must find a way to reunite with his children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And. Oh, a film with a well-known male actor dressing as a woman. Oh, okay. This was Hook and Mrs. Doubtfire. Exactly. Is it Hook and Did You Do Tootsie? Or was it a different one? No, it's a different one. Some Like It Hot? Oh, no, it's not. Was it White Chicks? (laughs) No. (laughs) Is there a well-known actor in that movie? Uh, I mean, the Wayans brothers were somewhat famous at one point. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think I ha- this is a movie I have not seen. Uh, I think it's a musical, and I'm pretty sure it's a musical, and it's set in a different decade, I think. Oh, interesting. Set in a different decade, and it's just a person dressing up? Like, all you a man is dressing a man as a woman. Dressing. But okay, so it's not cross-dressing for the movie. My uh, my understanding is that the he that is his character for the film. Oh, so wait. it's not like a gag. It's that that Got is it. the character. So 
Huh. So is it, gosh, what is that? Uh, hairspray? Correct. Okay. <laughs> that one I thing mean, that neither of us has seen, apparently. So. Oh, I've I've seen it, but it, all you? literally all you told me is that it's a man dressing as a woman. Uh, yep, because <laughs> that was all I knew about it. <laughs> That makes sense. And you're right, both in It Is a Musical and the role of Tracy's mom is always portrayed by a guy. Yeah, I I was pretty sure about that, but I had, well, that, that was the first movie. I was just trying to think of a movie where a guy dresses up as a woman, and that was the first one that came into my mind, so I wrote it down. So, uh, that was Hook Meets Hairspray. <laughs> All right. My final one here. Since this film features Robin Williams playing a man who is paid for his voice work, performing his eccentric brand of comedy, but unwilling to compromise his morals for a paycheck. Meets, a movie with Robin Williams where a man dresses to fool people into believing he's a woman and to maintain a relationship with his son. Well, that one is obviously Mrs. Doubtfire. It is. Both of these are Mrs. Dalva. What was the second one you guessed earlier? I did? Yes. I don't remember guessing a Robin Williams movie earlier. Oh, was it that one-hour photo one that I've never seen? No. Very much not. <laughs> uh, I will say with the second one, where a man dresses to fool people into believing he's a woman, Robin Williams doesn't do the cross-dressing. Yeah, um, yeah it's uh, the uh, Birdcage. Birdcage is correct. The first one. Oh, I thought the other one was the one that I had mentioned earlier. So. No, no, no. The second one was uh, the Birdcage. The first yeah, one yeah, was yeah. Rob Williams paid for his voice work, uh, unwilling to compromise his morals. We'll say this one, much like Hairspray, is set in a different decade, though. Vietnam. Think... I mean, yeah, that thing. Yep. Good, <laughs> good morning, Vietnam. <laughs> That was I, the word I remembered from it. <laughs> well, that is, like, the most important part, I guess. Uh, unless you want good... <laughs> unless you want good morning Baltimore, oh. which is from Hairspray. Uh, but it's not the right words. Sure. Uh, anyway, let's move on to our second game, which is um alternate taglines a word or phrase you would see in the movie poster for this film which describes the theme describes the theme and possibly <laughs> misses the point oh, i'm doing great tonight yeah i'm gonna start us off here telling our audience what the theme of mrs doubtfire is uh so my first one here <laughs> uh mrs doubtfire what do you get when you cross-dress a divorced father with a nanny? Hmm. I mean... I guess yeah. it. I should have switched that. I think I originally planned to say the thing and then the title, but oh well. I mean, yeah, but we always say the title first. I do, but I think the delivery is to give the answer to the joke. Yeah. And I did a bad. Anyway, Mark, take it away. Mrs. Doubtfire, dress for success. Pretty great. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire, a father's knockdown, dragged up, fight for his children. These are taglines, right? Yeah, correct. Okay. These just seem longer than your usual taglines, so really? I wanted to make sure we didn't do them backwards. I've done, I've done sentences before. Okay. 
Sorry, I'm not laughing enough at your tagline. You're fine. It's for the <laughs> audience to laugh inside. <sighs> inside. My next tagline. Mrs. Doubtfire, may the worst parent win. <laughs> I mean, that's... that is fair. Uh, <laughs> my final one here. Mrs. Doubtfire, if you lose custody, just get costumey. I Anytime that we talk about custody, I just picture the office and custardy. Yeah, that's fair. I'm also picturing custard. But that's going to bring us to our fish final game. Fish sticks and custard? Uh, fish fingers and custard, Mark. Because uh, they're in, they're in Scotland at the time. Oh no, they're in England, but she has a Scottish accent. Anywho, uh, let's move on to our final game, which is the TV Guide game. A description of the plot of the film you would find in a TV Guide or Netflix description, which is accurate, though possibly misses the point. So, Mark, since we have the same number, why don't you start us off telling our listeners... What the plot of Mrs. Doubtfire is. Following a messy breakup, Daniel Hillard becomes depressed and decides to change his identity. Uh, my first one is... <laughs> a couple's relationship greatly benefits from some intense role-playing, even with the kids. No. <laughs> I think you get the best TV guides this time. Maybe. I don't even have puns, really. All right. Emotionally distant mom wants a divorce from her husband due to his love for his children and his extremely ethical employment standards. <laughs> what a terrible man. And <laughs> uh, my final one here. An actor interferes with two men's chance at love, poisoning a Brit while pretending to be British, and shooting down the multiple advances of a sweet old bus driver. Yeah, we didn't even talk about him. Well... <laughs> <laughs> what is there to say? He's a nice old man yeah, who hits on oh, Mrs. Doubtfire. It, I, I almost wanted to include Hocus Pocus in my pitch game just because of the bus driver hitting on ladies. Mm, yeah, that's fair. That would have matched up great. All right. <laughs> so let's go on to our reviews. Our first review scale is, of course, our infamous potato scale. Telling our listeners what they can expect in terms of emotions in the film, in terms of our relationships with potatoes. God, I have to look at what I normally say. It's been a while since we've done this. But let's... Uh, Mark, why don't you tell our listeners what Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> is in terms a, of potatoes. While once I, a month, Carl. <laughs> hey, we uh, when did we last record? Was it well, two months ago? <laughs> <laughs> anywho, they, they don't know that <laughs> but i know it um uh, anywho so mark while i potatoes, scale, yeah i um i think obviously we are both going to have a certain one i think um but i wanted to start off with sweet potato which we have as not as expected because i I remember seeing this as a kid and thinking of, you know, oh, it's a funny movie with that guy who does goofy voices, and and you watch it now, and it is actually, I mean, it has the comedic moments in it, but it's a very serious movie to me, watching it now. 
Um, which leads into the next one, which is the black potato, because it definitely deals with troubling issues, which we mentioned several times throughout <laughs> throughout this episode. But yeah, I the, back to sweet potatoes, because, you know, I thought it was going to be this fun children's family movie, and it turned out to be so serious and dark, so I had to also add the black potato. But because of that combination, I also put potato casserole which is layers for different audiences because as a kid there's a lot of those adult themes and jokes that I didn't pick up on and like Carl mentioned they go by so quickly a lot of the kids probably still won't notice them but it definitely has those adult themes and trying to deal with a divorce and how do people <laughs> cope with that and how do they get over it in the end and how do this how does their relationship grow because of it or not grow so um i think it definitely has the layers for for different people who could watch it so i had sweet black potato casserole yum yum um god that was a terrible way to say those two words anyway <laughs> Yeah, looking at our scale here, I'm trying to find uh, how I feel about this. And I don't know if I can give it a black potatoes. Because we saw, we talked about things that weren't above board with Robin Williams, you know, and his ex wife. Or Robin Williams. I mean, really, it's even with Stu, it's all about the ex wife. That's super not great. But I don't know if it's just like, I don't know if. At the end of the day, if this film has, like, things that are that troubling about it, because initially what my first response was with potatoes is that it was Red Robin fries. I was expecting this to be way more problematic than it is. And as discussed, it's a little problematic, but it's also a movie. I can let it go a little bit. Plus, Rob Williams is charming. So, Red Robin fries, it's... Better than I expected it to be. I expected this to not be above board at all. But for the majority of it, it is above board. Because it's about a dad who loves his kids and just wants to spend time with his kids. And so, like, it it works for me. And I wasn't expecting it to. So, Red Ramen Fries, number one. Potato casserole, I agree with you. There's the kid layer that I saw when I saw this movie originally. There's the adult layer looking at it now, where a lot of the jokes are for me at this age and not at the age I originally watched it. And I don't think kids would pick up on the adult jokes because the film doesn't like doesn't necessarily highlight them in a way that kids would catch on to, there's a joke here, and I need to know what this adult word was. And finally, my third one here... I think I'm going to go potato gun. Like, the emotional speech that Robin Williams gives at the end in front of the judge about why he's done what he's done, followed by the judge shooting him down, and rightfully so, in that the judge can't trust what he's saying now because he understands how good of an actor he is. It's just like, fuck, that makes, that makes complete sense, and it sucks. And like, yeah, this film will get you. It'll get you good. Uh, so let's see. All together, that's a sweet potato. Ca- no, not a sweet potato. A, um, a red robin fry potato casserole 
loaded into the gun and shooting you in the heart. <laughs> so yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Uh, so let's go on to our second review scale, which is a more traditional 0 to 10 scale, telling our listeners should they go back and watch this film. So I have a number in mind, and I don't often do this. Like, this is the number I had in my head after completing this film, and I am almost positive it is not going to be the same number you're going to give it. <laughs> what makes you think that? <laughs> uh... I think because of everything you've said. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I remember, like I said, I remember it being a fun, like, funny movie for some reason when I was a kid because you had Robin Williams with funny voices. So that must make it a funny kids movie, right? Um, so watching it now, I guess I, I, I shouldn't say I was surprised because obviously I've seen it before. I know that there's a divorce and that things happen um i was i guess just thinking that it would i just remember it being better than i thought it was this time i th i think it's still a great movie it's just that i was expecting something different so you know when you have an expectation and that's not what you get sometimes it just kind of when you have an expectation it makes an ass out of you and me that's not the saying i'm pretty sure it is <laughs> but you know like you know what i mean though you have an expectation and and if something just even if it's good but it doesn't match what you were thinking it was going to be you right just it just makes it seem like it wasn't as good as you wanted and I don't know. I had a number in my head, and as I do, I went back and looked at the list of other things that were similar to that, or in that same range, and kind of compared if I would put this above or below or the same. Um, and while I do really like the movie, and I don't know, see, that's hard, because we, we say that this is a scale as... If we would recommend you watching it or rewatching it, sure. And if that if that's the case, I think it would. I I would put it. Uh, most of our movies that we watch really high because I think people should watch them, even if they're terrible movies. It's I should maybe <laughs> rephrase so. because that's while it is the the thing I say every time. It's not what our scale has become. To me, our scale has become the the central conceit of our podcast, which is. Does the film hold up? Is the nostalgia warranted? Yeah, which is, I guess, is is our theme, so that would make sense. Um, so, right, if if it was to recommend someone to watch it or rewatch it, I would probably be a 10, because it's a good enough movie that people should watch it. it. And then you can make your own decision if you like it or not, which is the same for any of the movies we review. Um, but as far as how it impacted me and if i would watch it again based on this viewing if if it you know how it stacks up against other movies that we have watched i ended up at a 6.8 which i'm sure carl is going to be surprised at because he sounds like he's going to be i really mean that's high. uh quite a bit lower than where i'm putting it yeah right. i well i tell you what i started higher than that and I think the problem is I look at my list and then end up adjusting things and it dropped itself. I think I had it like seven and a half before that. And then there were things that I have rated as a seven that I would watch before I would watch this. So 
I was just weighing things out and sticking it where I thought it belonged based on the list, even though I had a number higher than that in mind. So. I mean, that, that does make sense. I am perhaps not shocking to you at all, going to do a bit higher than that. What? I know. <laughs> uh, because the, the most comparable film that we've watched already that is on our scale is, of course, Hook, where it is Robin Williams. And there are, like, really emotional moments, and he's going to save his child and, like, to be with his children again. And I think Hook is better. So I can't rate it as high as Hook, but I can't rate it much lower than that either. Because the wonderful thing about this film is the way I feel about a lot of Robin Williams comedy, where the jokes aren't, they don't hold up that great. Even in the moment, these are not scripted jokes. These are Rama Williams improving with his manic style, joke after joke after joke. And like, those jokes aren't meant to stand the test of time. They're supposed to be a quick one-liner, uh, delivered like five in succession. It's supposed to be like a machine gun of jokes. And like, some of them are fine. Not all of them are great. But like, they come with such ferocity and so frequently, that's just like, oh yeah, all those jokes together, they're, they're pretty good. And that's not what makes the film for me. What makes the film for me is the emotions that Robin Williams brings to the character. The emotion that this dad is showing for his children when he's trying to be with them and the lengths that he's going to be with them. And like the, the moments he has to himself when he's in full costume, where the kids don't know yet that he, that their dad is there. And he's just commenting to himself that, you know, I'm here for you, basically. And so, to me, the the emotions in this film, they make it rise above any problematic things uh, that were maybe like loopholes or little things not fully considered by the script. Also, I think Mrs. Doubtfire, as a character, is like a charming little woman who is, she feels like a nanny. And she's fun. <laughs> uh, but like... The the heart of the film, even though, like, pretty much every adult is terrible in this film, uh, I, I have to give this film a nine, where I felt something for it. Like, the emotions are true, and the larger statement it makes about divorced families, that's a perennial thing. The acceptance of divorce is not something that's going to go away. It's not something that's going to stop being a problem for the kids who were a part of a family and are no longer a part of a family. Like, that doesn't age out and is always important and is always relevant. So I think since this is... I've compared this film so many times to a family going through a divorce. <laughs> it's not a story that ages out with the decades. And so, like, because this film is so much about that, it doesn't boil with age. It kind of stays as good. And, like, the jokes are not the important thing. To me, the emotions carry it through. And I, I can't give it anything less than a nine. Anyway, that's me. Yeah, I mean, I really, as I said, if based on rewatchability or telling someone if they haven't seen it that they should, mm -hmm. would be probably a ten, you know? just because everyone should see it. Um, and then between, you know, I debated if I should just average it <laughs> between that and my score. 
and give it something a little higher just because i mean it deserves a good score just personally it didn't have that impact on me this time around so maybe if i watched it at a different stage in life it would i would bring the number up or maybe down again i don't know hey maybe and maybe as we get more things on the scale we'll adjust them at like the five-year timeline and maybe it'll go up that and who knows we'll have like four decimal places eventually <laughs> probably yeah <laughs> So it's going to bring us to our final segment here, which is, guys, I learned something today. A lesson I took away from this film uh, that I'm going to share with our listeners, and they can mull it over in the coming month before our next episode. So, guys, I learned something today. To be your best self, you should become an old woman. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, so that's going to close out this episode of Retrograding. We will catch you guys next time. That, that could have been one of your taglines. Yep, it sure could have. <laughs>